Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining me. This is Richard Listens, and this is the Richard Listens Show. I'm Richard Oldberger, clinical psychologist. I'm grateful for all the wonderful contributions and guests we've been having lately. Thank you again to all my subscribers, for all of you who've been signing up for email lists, signing up on our Patreon.com page to support the show, Patreon.com slash Richard Listens, Instagram at Richard Listens. Please tweet at me, Instagram. Facebook, sign up, subscribe, and listen. Please take the time, send this to two friends that you think might like the show. Without further ado, I'm going to be inviting on shortly my guest today. Most of you are familiar. I've been working on uh, training in EMDR, so I'm privileged today to have my actual trainer present here and looking at the applications of EMDR for trauma, addiction, as well as for my field of interest in sports psychology and peak performance. Without further ado, today's guest is Larissa Traga. She is a a licensed clinical social worker, a master's of addiction counseling. She's going to explain to us what CCDS stands for. She is also a MINT member, which is for motivational interviewing, and she's also MDRIA, which is the EMDR International Association EMDR certified therapist, and I had a privilege of attending their conference this year, so we'll get to talk a little bit about that. Without further ado, welcome Larissa Traga. Thank you. Privileged to be here. Thank you. Straight from a plane. I love it. We're in demand now people come straight from the airport to our studio so you know clients want to know I mean everyone wants to know about EMDR what is it debunking the myths and and how far it's come in the 30 years or so that has become from what's on the licensing exam is probably the most efficacious method of treating trauma see if it's still up there in, in your opinion and 
your experience now with being able to provide this type of training, not only offering this therapy, but offering it to people of low income and even providing going out and accessing therapists who probably wouldn't otherwise be able to access the training. Without further ado, please tell us, Ms. Laura Sotrago, what has brought you to this path? Yeah, thank you. Well, I would say that this has been a path in the making for many, many years. I know that I had heard about EMDR back in the 90s when I was in grad school, and I thought this is interesting, but at that time it was taboo and not something that you could really explore too much in the school setting. You had to, like, find Francine Shapiro and go to her house? I mean, what was it for hearing about it? Yeah, it was just very shunned upon, and my undergrad, which was SUNY Binghamton, was very much CBT-based, and that was all I learned in undergraduate school. Had heard about it also again in grad school at University of Michigan, but really didn't delve into it until went to a conference. It was Evolution of Psychotherapy Conference in California when we moved out here, and I heard Bessel van der Kolk speak about trauma and different approaches and comparing EMDR to other approaches, and that's when I was like, all right, I really need to get, I really need to get trained in EMDR because it's been kind of on my radar for a long time. Just for our listeners to know, Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps Score, is probably like the Bible for a lot of work, you know, that goes into the different trauma psychotherapies today and understanding uh, how trauma gets stored in the body and the evolution of psychotherapy conference. Is it annual or every two years? No, I think it's about every four or five four years. Four or five years, but yeah. it, it brings in the heavy hitters in the field of psychology. And so if you're really looking to expand, get out of your burnout, learn more about people who have pioneered the field and you want to go to Disneyland, perhaps. Absolutely. <laughs> it's usually in Anaheim, so both worthwhile. And sounds like it was that for you. It, it kind of set your mind into like, whoa, what's out there? Who's doing what? Yeah, so absolutely. When I heard him speak, actually at that conference, I got to meet Francine Shapiro, among other, you know, just um, role models and big names in our field. She pretty much pioneered the study of EMDR in her own graduate work? She's, no, I think it was before she went back to school. And the story goes is that she was walking in the park and was dealing with some of her own stuff, I believe, you know, treatment for cancer and started using eye movements to help herself feel better and then kind of evolved from there. And so when the opportunity came up for me to get trained in my area, I live in Santa Maria, California, I uh, totally jumped on it. I was like, oh, I definitely want to do this. And it was brought to our area by Roy Kiesling, who at that time was doing his own trainings and really is a humanitarian and believes in bringing EMDR to the nonprofit sector, bringing it to clinicians in smaller towns and cities so that there's access to learning the modality and then being able to use it. Was that the part that, that really inspired you, that it was humanitarian, that his desire was not just to teach the modality, but what he wanted to do with it and who he wanted to reach? Yeah, you know, at that time I had no idea like who he was or anything. I just knew there was a training and I wanted to get trained in EMDR. And then when I met him, I realized um, how much I appreciated his mission, which is to spread EMDR across the world, really. And he had done a lot of work, um, you know, volunteering his time to bring EMDR and to provide solace to a lot of people worldwide. And so I want to do what you do. And by then I had already been doing trainings for the county of Santa Barbara in uh, motivational interviewing and some other modalities. It just kind of, you know, flew from 
there and it was very rewarding to be able to work with him and be mentored and, and grow as a clinician. So you went straight from getting trained in EMDR to becoming a trainer. Yes. So what I did is I got trained and then I worked towards the certification right away, which is a process that takes a couple of years or so. And then as soon as I became certified, I started coaching with Roy Kiesling. And then about two years ago, I got my approved consultant status with Emdria. And so I'm now able to offer trainings and help others become certified, such as yourself. Yes, so, thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Many, many hats. So what's that like, though? I mean, I know from personal experience, this world of like being in practice and then putting yourself out there in such a capacity for so many. How do you maintain that kind of accordion ability to expand yourself and yet still maintain self-care? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that for me, it, it kind of evolved naturally because I've always enjoyed doing different things and not just one thing, which was a benefit in kind of working at a county level where you're always doing something different. And so it just kind of evolved in a way where I knew I wanted to do that. I knew that I was so passionate about it because it really helped me as a clinician. I was able to reduce my burnout. I was able to see better results with clients. Clients were getting better. My colleagues were getting more and more curious about EMDR. And I think just kind of my personality is such that I like to share what I know. I always have. I think how I kind of got into training because that was not my intention when I went to grad school for social work. Totally just wanted to work with clients. And then I realized that I have a passion for teaching too and sharing what I know. And in terms of self-care, I would say that it, it actually is part of my self-care. And what I know about myself is that being full-time in private practice would be difficult for me. And being able to share and inspire others to learn modalities like motivational interviewing and EMDR, both of which I would say would have saved my career as a social worker in terms of, you know, burnout and being able to manage and cope. And So you, you get a chance to pay it forward to your fellow clinician and keep them out of the danger zones. Absolutely. And also give yourself a chance to diversify and experience a variety of things. Absolutely. So for the layman out there who doesn't have any idea, like they keep asking, what is EMDR? And I know they can YouTube a, a few basic, where there's kind of some graphic ones that show yes. animations. What can you explain to them about the general principles and how it's applicable to helping clients in a different way? So general principles of EMDR are that it's a modality that has been shown to be very effective with treating individuals with trauma, that kind of how it developed and the way that it works or in terms of the assumption is that, you know, as humans, we're programmed to heal and programmed for survival. So our brain and our body is going to do whatever it needs in order to survive. And when we experience adverse experiences, whether as an adult or as a child, these different experiences have an impact on us. And because they're not able to get processed in a normal way that we typically process our day, like at night when we sleep and we go into the REM sleep cycles. And so EMDR does is in a safe environment after we go through some preparation and resourcing and helping a person with stabilization and affect uh, regulation to help them kind of open uh, some of that up and reprocess, you know, images, sounds, sensations, feelings, and beliefs that they have about themselves as a result of those experiences. And then, you know, the analogy I like to use is just kind of freeing yourself from some of those experiences so that you 
can be the best self that you were meant to be. Yeah, and that's key, right? That people aren't aware how they internalize or store beliefs about themselves based on their experiences. And they may have crafted a lot of negative beliefs to explain why they had to go through survival in this way. Yeah, so we, you know, kind of form different beliefs based on our experiences. And the more we experience similar things, let's say, you know, receiving messages of not being enough or worthless growing up and then kind of that becoming the lens through which they see the world and themselves and therefore it's going to impact and interfere with their ability to be good enough, to feel good enough, to feel worthwhile regardless of what they might have been through in their lives. Yeah, I was reading something even about kind of confidence and false confidence that kids who are from, you know, maybe affluent areas who get treated a certain way, they start to believe that they're worth it or good enough and even though they may have done nothing to earn it like in a way that confidence can carry them forward like when they go out into the world that they just based on they drew or attracted a certain kind of treatment and whereas people who go in from minorities into certain schools with the imposter effect like I don't belong here a lot of them can drop out like they're looking for that first time when they're identified as being different or you know not as good as or, or not belonging even though they could be the top of the class so it's like this reconditioning that's that, right. that has to happen so I guess the applications for sports can be you know people who start to believe that if they failed once that they're a failure or that they're not good enough anymore that's true or, or maybe they had an injury and the injury you know affected how they feel about themselves and then that might interfere you know with their ability to to be the best self that they can be maybe they have been able to be EMDR can help kind of uh, reprocess some of those experiences and let them, you know, kind of work through that. I know for me, I know, you know, you probably heard the story at the trainings that for me, you know, I grew up playing the violin and really loved the instrument, but I was being evaluated was very difficult as a nine-year-old and there was not recitals. good enough, yes, wow. recitals and a lot of the, you know, kind of the belief that I had about myself was not good enough and, and that was a big hurdle that I had to overcome in order order to do what I do now. Public performance was one of the, you know, the most anxiety provoking things for me to, or hurdles for me to overcome in order to be able to do what I do now. And so. Was it something happen in an early performance? Yeah. So just, I used to have to perform in front of a few rows of teachers every six months or so growing up when I was playing the violin. So you can imagine for an eight, nine year old. A lot of evaluation. How, going yes. On. And with with the violin, the thing about it is, you know, you make a mistake, everyone hears it, right? You know, my kids play the piano and, you know, I, I remember when I would go to their recitals, I would tell them, you make a mistake, just keep going, nobody will notice. With the piano, you could do that. With the violin, you can't. And so I remember every time I made a mistake, it was just such a damper on my on my ability to continue. And that kind of evolved into this, uh, you know, I'm not good enough and definitely the imposter syndrome and all of that. So yeah, I had to do a lot of work to overcome all that. Did your parents get you help? Like, how did you overcome it? No, I got help myself. And and honestly, you know, when I started doing trainings back in 2011, it was very hard for me, very hard. I started very small, six to eight people, having a co-trainer and slowly, slowly with the help of EMDR and putting myself out there because I knew that I really enjoyed doing it and I didn't want my fears to interfere 
sure. Well, they say it's one of the top five right fears, right next to like That's death right. is public That's speaking. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, right. You know, instantaneously having to fight off thoughts of what every single person is thinking, and am I good enough? Am I doing a good job? And it's like a bombardment. Absolutely, absolutely. And the more I did it, though, the more I was reinforced that I can do this. I can do this. And the feedback, of course, was helpful too. And that's kind of how I got to where I am now. Did the trainee, because they're working in the same field, did they help with those kind of negative beliefs that come up? I mean, I know for me doing the podcast, I was like sweating profusely. I was like wanting to stick my head out like two to five minutes a show, you know, and then go back and hide. And then I'd get feedback afterwards. Like, you know, you need to you need to speak more, mm. you need to share more. <laughs> I was deferring, which, which is probably a survival skill, right? Yes. Which is really helpful and great for being a therapist at times. Yes. And yet in the work of EMDR or, you know, even the somatic experience work, interrupting is, is crucial, right? Being able to break patterns that are not helpful. Absolutely. So how did you incorporate your coach in working on your own resistance to being evaluated? How, how did you keep pushing through that? Say that I remember when I first started doing it, I would say, okay, so I would have my co-trainer start first because somehow I felt better if I went second and not first. <laughs> so I remember going through Let that. Take the, yes. You get the evil looks. <laughs> <laughs> and then slowly as I became more and more comfortable with myself and comfortable with the material, I think that I, and the feedback of course, which was, you know, you don't look nervous at all. And really, you have anxiety about this? And that kind of feedback was definitely reinforcing that, hey, you know, I can do this no matter how it might feel inside, you know, uh, initially. It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports, all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. And that's a parallel for a lot of even professionals in, in sporting domains, right? People think they looked calm yeah. and they don't realize that that pitcher on the mound in the major leagues is experiencing anxiety Absolutely. and stress or that batter, right? Absolutely. And they may be needing to do certain skills or performance practices to help them yes. focus. Absolutely. And stay with their performance plan and yeah. not get triggered by whatever's happening or distractions. Absolutely. So yeah. how do 
you manage distractions? You mean like at a training? That's really hard, right? Because you have this big task. Yeah. And remind everyone just so they know how many people have you trained um, or are trained right now so in the MDR? I've done a bunch of trainings. I would say the biggest training I've done has been about 65 people. And that was a motivational interviewing training that I did when I worked at the county. And then in terms of my EMDR trainings, probably the largest has been about 35, 37, somewhere there. Yeah. And, you know, how do I manage distractions? I would say, you know, I have kind of my, I'm a pretty structured person. So I have my kind of uh, agenda of where I'm trying to go with them, what, what I feel I really want to make sure that they get out of the, you know, their experience at the training. And then at the same time, finding that balance of being flexible and being able to get to people's, you know, different questions and concerns and their own process of change. This is really going to be the thing that's going to, you know, help me and also help my clients at the same time, right? So, um, and so I would say the combination of motivational interviewing to kind of roll with some of the resistance that might pop up or show up in a training setting around, really? Like you just wave your hand in front of somebody's face and they start feeling better and just kind of trusting the process. I always think in putting myself in, in your shoes, obviously, as, as somebody who would like to teach others and train others in different capacities, whether it be in EMDR or in sports psychology going forward, is the management of group dynamics of, you know, even clinicians or professionals that are bringing their own issues, their own demands, and how you manage that and keep focus for the rest of the group. You know, what tips do you have for that? We don't want to alienate anybody. There is a group going on and no question is a bad question. I think that the stage that I set for any training that I do is from that style of strength-based and very much, um, you know, looking to the participants to teach me as I'm also teaching them and being open to the different perspectives in the room and the different expertise in the room, you know, because when I first started out doing trainings, it was more just licensed or unlicensed any level of education and more and more as I get into training in EMDR, I'm working with some really wise and experienced clinicians and psychologists and, you know, social workers who have a lot of expertise that they bring into the room. And I think that the combination of their expertise and mine really creates for a very rich experience for everybody. A really valid perspective, you know, this model of like, there's an experience going on. It's not just learning. It's one of the things that's drawn me towards these approaches that are more somatic based or outside of the box. You know, I mean, CBT, you know, for its uses and applications, very rigid, very structured, very Western based, deferring to the, the expert and the model. Yes. Whereas opposed to, you know, the experience of training and going into environments and deferring to people who have expertise or techniques of relating that may be very unique to the population that they work with, uh, whether it be in the jail or a variety of people from a variety of eating disorder clinics, substance abuse clinics, right? So yes. if there's a rigidity and lack of openness, understanding their perspective, absolutely. what's the likelihood that they're going to use the method or even try it? Absolutely, right? So coming at it from the perspective of you came in as an expert and this is just another tool that you're learning that is going to help you when you feel like, okay, you know, I've tried so many things and nothing has worked and I'm going to try 
try this. And what I find is that those clinicians that get trained in our model, which is more integrative EMDR, where you integrate it into your practice, you know, clinicians find that they are drawing and kind of going back to EMDR more and more because of how effective it is and how quickly a person can feel relief and lightness, being able to just kind of move forward with their lives rather than be stuck. Yeah, and that feels very indicative of the the time that we're living in. Clinicians don't want to be pigeonholed. Clients want to get what's cutting edge and works. So the willingness to try what might help them and know that you're willing to flow between what you like best or what they're needing at the moment is probably going to gain more trust and credibility. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, more and more as clients come in, you know, word of mouth, they refer clients, other people in their lives because they know how effective it was for them and their healing process. Well, it also sends a massive kind of community cultural effect that like there's no boundary on who can access. You know, we talk about like sensitivity to, you know, being culturally diverse. You know, a lot of the feedback, I was at a California Board of Psychology meeting and desperately trying to be a part of a movement that reaches students in California and figure out how their voice or perspective is reached. And a lot of the feedback or criticism was like, or just underrepresentation of minorities. I'm not sure what the gender disparity is, but predominantly it becomes profession. And I know the EMDR Association has gotten similar feedback of being older, you know, white mm-hmm. professionals. Mm-hmm. And so how do you reach those that feel they're not included or have not had access to something? How do you make it more accessible and how do you kind of reshift their belief systems about a model? Yeah, that's a good question because I agree with you that it has been, you know, for so long only accessible to some. And for me, I mean, it took years for me to get trained from when I wanted to to when I actually got trained, Part of partly because of the cost, right? The training is it's a big investment. And, you know, with EMDR Consulting, what we do is we make it affordable. We have payment plans. In fact, our training is the most affordable training because it's quite a bit cheaper. We a lot of times come to you, which is why I just got off the plane this morning because I was in Wilsonville, Oregon, doing a training. You're hitting parts of the states that I've never heard of before. Yeah. Bakersfield, Tolvang. Yes, yes. (laughs) Sideways aficionados can also learn EMDR. So I've been just traveling to cities and and towns that are smaller where there is no access to evidence-based trainings or being able to get continuing education unit. And then the other thing that we do is we do offer part of the training is 10 hours of consultation that they don't have to pay separately for, which is also something that I I strongly believe in, right? That in order for you to implement what you're learning to be able to have the support that you need, and I do this both with motivational interviewing trainings that I host, as well as EMDR, that get a certain amount of ability to consult on your cases and challenges that you have post the training, because just getting trained is one thing, but implementation is a whole different ball game, and that's a pretty unique to me in terms of being able to do that motivational interviewing and being able to come back and support the staff in applying the different things that they learn in the training. Yeah, this is a huge overtaking to bring knowledge and skills to people. And this speaks to what we were kind of talking about off the air before getting on here is that for all the people who are entering into professions of therapy and counseling and their worldview has not been exposed or challenged, that can limit your growth as a performer, so to speak, in the therapy realm. 
realm that if you want to be able to help people that you're not familiar with how they grew up, if you're in an area which is ethnically diverse, culturally diverse, and economically diverse, and you want to be able to help those that do not resemble you, that exposure to different modes of training, openness to looking at your underlying beliefs. So you're really taking on a huge task to bring this to people to help open them up. Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of the model that we follow, that we want everyone to, who wants to grow and learn to have access to this. So what's the higher goal? Like, What's the championship, right? Is it to train? Is it to reduce the amount of trauma experienced in clients across the country? Like, what is the bigger vision for helping so many people learn? I think, you know, just kind of reflecting on my own work and how much I've been able to help my clients so much more since becoming and getting into EMDR. I would say that that's the hope is that you can, wherever you are, whether it's inner city, whether it's a town where the only way to see a therapist is via teletherapy, right? To have access to this modality because of how effective it is and how healing it is and how integrative it is, right? Because a lot of what we do is body-based and the right brain to right brain connection that we emphasize in the trainings that we do, the attachment and attunement repair, right? I mean, there's just so many layers to how much healing comes from applying some of the skills that we teach in the trainings that we do. For those of you who haven't heard of Gabor Mate and his book, When the Body Says No, if you want to listen more about early attachment and how all of us and the variety of ways, even the ways workaholism, you know, whatever it is that you do to get energy or get attention might be causing you to live out of balance. This kind of work starts not only for therapists, but just as us as individuals, how we operate in families and relationships. And starting to look at that stuff can have a ripple effect over healing. And yes. healing can start now and healing can start exactly where you're at. And it doesn't matter what profession. So how about for you, Larissa, how have you used EMDR and MI to help heal yourself? And what would you advise to our listeners who are looking to get a start on a course, yeah. taking the first step? I would say that for me, I was getting burned out in the field and working with severe and persistent mental illness in a county setting with, you know, transitional age youth with co-occurring disorders. I was feeling like my toolbox was not full enough and I needed more tools, particularly with working with trauma, particularly with working with behavior change, because as you know, right, there's a lot of ambivalence that we experience when we're considering change. And so for me, learning and growing with EMDR and with motivational interviewing, which was prior to EMDR, a combination of those two has really been, been so supportive in my growth as a clinician and I would say as a person because, for instance, with motivational interviewing, I remember thinking to myself, I don't just want to become an expert or learn more about MI because I want to be a better therapist. I want to do it because I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better sister. I want to be a better daughter. I want to be a better colleague, supervisor, and the different hats that I've worn over the years. And I would say that it has definitely facilitated that process for me because I understand the concepts much better around ambivalence and how difficult change is and reluctance, right? So one of the things that I teach in my trainings is I don't like to use the word resistance, you know, that there's reluctance and it's a more of a subconscious process that occurs when we're just not sure or not convinced that making the change is going to be what we need or even what we want. And so I would say that for me, that's how it has helped me, not just as a clinician, but 
but also as a person and therefore I'm lighter and it's easier to have conversations because of the counseling style of being strength-based and centered on the individual and seeing them as the expert and I would say that that's a huge shift in our field. How does someone look at their reluctance? How does someone examine that yeah. uh, inquisitively with curiosity and, and with patience in examining change whether you be a client or someone not sure you want to handle your addiction yeah. and gambling or substances or someone wanting to get in or out of a relationship or someone looking to train and expand their practice and get out of burnout. How do they begin? It's a good question. So I would say that there's a few different ways, but one intervention that I teach in the motivational interviewing trainings that I do is looking at their values and helping them connect back to what it is that they value, what it is that makes them who they are. And then looking at, well, where are they compared to what they value, right? So if your value is to have balance in your life and you're working 60, 70 hour weeks, there is a discrepancy, right, between where you are and where you want to be. So what you value and what's actually happening. And so I would say that that awareness is the first step, right? It's just to become aware of uh, what do I value? What do I want for myself? And how close am I to that? And then using the different modalities of, we call them ORs, which is open and questions, affirmations, reflective listening and summaries from the individual. What do they want out of life? What are their desires? What are their past successes? We have an acronym MI called DARN CATS. So DARN standing for listening their desire, their abilities, their reasons for change, their need for change. Like what's at stake if nothing changes, right? That kind of gets you thinking. And then working on getting some commitment and then action take and taking steps. And you do that on yourself or do you need an accountable partner or do you need a therapist? Yeah, good question. Do you need an MI trainer yeah, in your yeah. life? Well, I think it depends, right? It's very individualized, but I know that for me, it was a combination of always to strive to do more and better in whatever I'm doing, right? And so becoming more and more effective as a person, as a clinician, and just as a citizen, right? And tapping into whatever is available to me to do that, whether it be, you know, kind of getting on different webinars or supporting my growth through watching YouTube videos. There's a lot of stuff out there. And then finally, I would say that for me, what really helped is going to trainings and then working on implementing it and getting feedback. So I had a mentor who helped me through that, recording my sessions and giving me feedback. Where am I? How am I doing? And then what's missing? Where do I want to go? Pretty valuable. I'm a personal fan of, you know, having an accountability buddy and whatever change you want to make, whether it be coming off injury and needing just to walk around the block yeah. or, you know, making some bigger change and trying to figure out how to grow your practice if you're in the therapy field and get together with someone for lunch and think about what are they training in? What are they learning? What ways are they putting themselves out there to share and add value to avoid that tendency to just be locked in, absorbing repetitive pain can be a big uh, trap that we fall into as therapists. Absolutely. So in closing, please share with us, Larissa, how can people get a hold of you? How can they learn more about uh, your consulting group and trainings upcoming and opportunities wherever they may be in the lovely state of Western states? Or are you going nationwide? Currently, I'm just in the Western states, but I am open to going nationwide. Just depends on when and all that. I would say that the best way to kind of explore more about either one in terms of EMDR or 
motivational interviewing is to visit my website, which is Empower TCT, which stands for Training, Consulting, and Therapy.com. So EmpowerTCT.com. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. And my contact information is all there. And I just want to say that this has been a, a really fun journey for me. And I'm really looking forward to continuing. Uh, pretty honored to have been asked to be here with you and to share some of these experiences. First of all, thank you for being here and flying in. But yes, the timing of today's show could not be more serendipitous in terms of getting the word out there about EMDR. And for some of you where it seems real confusing, I encourage you to go on YouTube or look a little bit deeper for therapists who'd like to get more into the efficacy. I believe the Amdria Association has presentations on research, which were presented by Ah De Jung at this recent conference. These are some techniques that may help you and have effects on the brain in terms of rewiring the mm -hmm. brain and how it's activated. And so clinician, if you're working with veterans, if you work at the VA, if you work with just a few people that you notice, uh, even seniors in Medicare that they formerly served, this modality could be one that puts in your back pocket and you use and you may find some alleviation of symptoms. So I'm excited to be able to share Larissa with you. I'm passionate about introducing people to you who overcome their own burnout, their own journey through being a therapist and continue to grow and expand what they do, their talent, their interests. Thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate it. Please, if you can, check out my Patreon page.com, patreon.com slash Richard Listens or Instagram. Richard listens. Hey, you get the theme. We appreciate all your support and interest. We're now up on iTunes, Spotify. If you're interested in therapy, teletherapy, any kind of consultation, please don't hesitate to reach out to me through my website, richardlistens.com. I'm happy to help and support in any way through any kind of strain, support, or isolation you are going through. We are here to alleviate strain and suffering. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Richard Listens, and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.